the impact of the pandemic and the rapid acceleration of digital initiatives in a short time forced organizations to control and manage disruptions to their business. Now, as security and risk management leaders handle their recovery and renewal phases from the past two years, they must consider forward-looking strategic planning assumptions when allocating resources and selecting products and prioritizing services and initiatives. Just how do security and risk management leaders keep pace with the future of digital in a post-pandemic recovery is the topic of our podcast for future CISO today. Today, we are joined by uh, Mr. Sean Duca, VP and Regional Chief Security Officer for Asia Pacific and Japan at Palo Alto Networks to share with us what lies ahead for CISOs and security professionals in Asia this coming 2023. Sean, welcome to podcast for future CISO. Thanks for having me, Alan. Gartner predicts that by 2025, 60% of organizations will fail to realize the benefits of zero trust. Zero trust has been with us for over 10 years now. Why do you think Gartner is predicting this failure rate of organizations to benefit from zero trust? I think a lot of it actually stems from the fact that some people believe that zero trust is a product. The reality is more that it's actually a strategy. It's a mindset change to the way that we've really been doing security. And zero trust is all about removing implicit trust from devices, systems, users that we've typically got inside our own organization. It doesn't mean that we don't necessarily trust the individuals, the employees that are inside our workplace, but it's more around trust as a human emotion. So why do we need to apply that to a computer? Why do we need to apply that to to a group of servers that are sitting inside a data center. So that's the actual approach. And I think where Gartner's probably coming from to say that organizations may fail to realize the benefits is probably around the fact that there are some vendors that are pushing a product, so to speak, to organizations saying, I've got a product that's going to solve all your zero trust problems which is actually factually incorrect. It's a combination of different tools. There's a different way that we've actually solved security for all these years. I think the last couple of years has really been a lot of momentum where it has actually gone out there. It's it's probably a term that can sometimes be abused a little bit, uh, but the reality is it's the best way forward that we can ultimately try and solve a lot of the challenges we've had in the past, but at the same time, make it fundamentally harder for an adversary to get inside our environment and, and cause harm to us and damage. Now, another Gartner prediction is that by 2025, 40% of boards will have a dedicated cyber committee and 50% will have performance requirements placed for for the C-level. How do you interpret this, having a dedicated cyber committee as well as this performance requirements for C-levels? I think it's a great thing, firstly. And the reason for that is more around the fact that we're we're really starting to take cyber security seriously. And there's a necessity and a key requirement for every organization to think that way. I think what Gartner's probably looking at is more around the key part of if we're not securing our organization. So if we're collecting information, we should be protecting it. An organization and their executives should also be measured on that. You know, we typically measure the way that we serve our customers. So there's KPIs typically for an organization around, you know, customer service, the way that we delight the customer. Why don't we actually focus on doing that from a, how do we secure the customer? And I think that's the approach that we should be thinking about because ultimately you can lose customers by, you know, suffering from a breach. And ultimately you are, you have been entrusted by those individuals, those consumers, those customers with their data. So ultimately you should be doing something the right thing about it and measure for how well you do that. 30% of nations globally will pass legislation on ransomware. Ransomware has been with us for a while now, and it's been a lot more top of mind the last couple of years. Do you think this is too little, too late for uh, governments and regulators? 
I think the question is probably more around what type of legislation will be passed. Uh, from the work that we've done with the ransomware task force, a lot of the, the findings that really came out of it was that governments should really be thinking about mandating the reporting of ransomware. Because at least that way we can start to work at how big or small the problem is before actually making some sort of policy decision. You know, I would, I would not really be a fan of the fact that if a government was to pass legislation without really thinking about what are the ramifications. You know, many times we've heard that uh, people have talked about the fact that Let's criminalise the payments of ransomware. I'm, and let me put my sort of little caveat out there. I'm not necessarily saying that we should condone the payment and it's an amazing thing that we should allow anyone and everyone to do, but it needs to be an option. And the reason why I say that is what happens if we're in a scenario where ransomware has been targeted to a critical infrastructure environment or a hospital? And it's not simply a case of the data has actually been encrypted. The systems are no longer available. And that potentially causes life-threatening situations. Are we saying the life is not worth the payment? I think that's a decision that that organization needs to literally have probably up their sleeve. And I think that's why we're going to be very careful as to what type of legislation should be passed or, or ultimately what's the, the end result that we're looking to achieve. Let's go on to these. Uh, I understand we have about four Palo Alto predictions that we'd like to cover with you. And bear with me as I walk through these four predictions. And I'd like to get your interpretations of this. 5G adoption. Why do you think the acceleration of 5G adoption, which a lot of uh, analysts are commenting, will be coming this 2023 and onwards, will deepen the vulnerabilities of enterprises? I think any telco around the world that's building out a 5G network is really building out the next generation of the networks that are out there. And they're building that on top of their existing 4G infrastructure. And ultimately what that means is when you create a 5G network, you're going to be leveraging a lot more virtualization, which in turn means you're going to be leveraging a lot more cloud. And with that will be, you know, while cloud provides the ability to have that agility, scalability, performance, it also starts to expose the 5G core to cloud security vulnerabilities. You know, large-scale attacks could come from anywhere, even from within the operator's network. And if I think about how there are currently threats that will be running around a 4G network today, that will get passed over to a 5G network. There's no reason or rhyme as to why you know, something will automatically disappear. You know, so it's incumbent on a service provider to really think about protecting their 5G network, probably more so than what they've ever done in previous generations. Because the crux of it really comes down to we're going to have more devices, we've got the ability for faster speeds, which also means that we're going to start to build out a lot more services that are going to be sitting on top of these faster networks. And you know, when you start to have autonomous cars that need microseconds of uh, latency, the last thing we need is any type of slowdown due to malicious activity on those networks. So there's a lot at stake that we need to think about. On the area of supply chains, now we've had a lot of, what our understanding is there are a lot of organizations that have decidedly to go to the cloud for the last couple of years for connectivity, convenience, as well as uh, be able to lead the markets in some instances. Now, when you say cloud supply chain attacks will disrupt businesses, what do you mean by this? And how can enterprises address new potential vulnerabilities while at the same time adopting the, the use of clouds, be it uh, public or private? Yeah, so companies are adopting cloud-native architectures, uh, and the way they're actually sort of consuming that also means that they're consuming third-party code. So developers are sitting there building applications that are being hosted out in public cloud infrastructure, and rather than actually building every single line of code from scratch, they're going to you know various public repositories and borrowing code from other developers. Now, the potential that could actually start to come out of that would be, have we actually started to sit down and work out, are there any exposures or vulnerabilities that exist in that particular code? before we actually start to run those applications. 
Typically, we've always thought about security once someone, something is actually running. Whereas at this part, we need to start thinking about earlier on that sort of process. Say, so how do we start to think about it at the time of we start to come up with the idea of what is the application going to do? The design process. From the time that we start to build it, how do we start to provide some sort of checks and balances to really go through and understand, are there any issues there? And a great example of that would be what we saw recently with Log4j, which really demonstrated how many organizations can be immediately vulnerable to a piece of dependent code that could be used in many different types of software, software they've created, and also software that they could have commercially purchased as well. So the key part there is how do we start to ensure that we don't fall victim to any type of cloud supply chain that could potentially cause a disruption to our organizations, the availability of our systems, and in turn, any other type of infrastructure that's inside the environment as well. The other issue I wanted to cover with you is data sovereignty. Now, that topic has been around for decades now. And in some markets, they're very open. Some markets are relatively close. Why will it intensify this, this issue of data sovereignty? And how can enterprises comply with evolving regulations on this while taking advantage of the borderless opportunities that are accorded by the Internet? Yeah, that's, that's a great one. And, and I think the reason for that, how, why we actually see that this is going to intensify, is the world's really becoming more and more reliant on the data, the digital information that we're putting out there. And that volume of information that we're seeing really starts to come down to that sort of desire to protect the citizens and ensure that it's always available. And if it pertains to, let's say, critical services, then we need to ensure that we're increasing its level of protection. I think the approach that people are taking is really focused on, well, let's actually keep the data within the physical confines of you know, our country. And what that really means is we are starting to limit that agility, elasticity that we're really thinking about. That's what cloud was really there to offer. And if you think about this borderless world that we're working in when it comes to cybersecurity or cybercrime in general, so if we're looking at it from the negative side of it, cybercrime is borderless. They, they don't think about localization. They don't think about data sovereignty. They're thinking about how they can launch an attack from one country to another to another using different systems. So the more that we start to concentrate all of our data in one central place, it also becomes a very good honeypot and a target. And I also believe that when you start to think about just because it's in the physical confines of or geographical confines of the country, it doesn't necessarily make it safer. I think a lot more focus should be applied to how do we start to protect the data irrespective of where it is. The second part that is in our world when it comes to security research, you know, for us, it's all about security telemetry. That data needs to actually flow across the globe. And I think the more that we start to limit that, the more it starts to become very harder for you know, security organizations such as Palter Networks to really focus on how do we research and understand what the adversary is doing and understand those tactics and making sure that it's easy for that data to flow from one country to another. So we need to think about cross-border data flows and a whole range of other things. And it's not just simply a cut and dry. If it came from there, it should sit inside the country. I think this is where it's going to be an interesting time. Finally, the last prediction from Palo Alto is around the metaverse. Uh, now, I understand it's still very much nascent at this stage. For organizations looking at this intently, how should they approach the technology in terms of from a security angle? So I think like any type of channel that an organization really sort of sells or delivers their services and goods to, to the market, this is just yet another one of those omni-channel processes that someone needs to think about. And think about it in a way where how do we start to ensure that we are factoring in the security, the reputational aspects, any potential fraud that could actually happen. Because the metaverses, and I'll use the plural aspect there because there are going to be many, are really focused on delivering a virtual reality world where I could go in, I've got an avatar, that avatar may look absolutely 
nothing like what I look like. It may be using a completely different name. So, you know, think about it, an avatar. You could be using an avatar that looks like me, Ellen, and uh, you know, even using my name. And you could start to transact with different organizations and procure goods and services. So at that time, you think, well, what does that mean for a cyber criminal? Potentially, we could start to take someone's identity. And you think about the applications that we're building inside the metaverse as well. They're like any other application that we're delivering and building out today that we could be hosting anywhere. So we still need to go through that process of the code checking, the validation to see, are we exposing any vulnerabilities or any type of sort of exposures there? And the last part is really around if this is another new world that we're sort of moving into. Think about this as you know, like another frontier that we moved out to when it came when public cloud was sort of really introduced to organizations. You know, have we started to think about what the strategy is when it comes to security? You know, do we have the right telemetry that we're going to be collecting? Do we understand that this is like any other type of system and environment that we're going to be hosting customer data? Because the last thing we need is obviously identity theft challenges popping up in the metaverse. And the other part is all around that fraud and reputational damage. I can create you know, an Alan Tan shop and yeah. whilst it could be a legitimate one, who's going to stop me? And I think this is going to be challenging. And I know there's a big rush right now because many people are keen to you know, not miss the boat, so to speak. And from what we've seen so far, you know, it's, it's estimated that $54 billion has already been spent on virtual goods every year. So people are very keen to sort of get on this. And I think just the word of sort of caution would be just think about what we're doing because we are going to be experiencing a whole new way of interacting with our customers. Let's just do it in a safe and secure Looking at 2023, what would you say are your top three recommendations for CISOs and CIOs in this part of the world in Asia Pacific as they look to protect the enterprise against the unpredictable? Yeah, I think a key part would actually be let's focus on uh, ensuring that as our businesses transform, as we start to think about, you know, new, better, faster ways to interact with our customers and constituents, let's think about transforming the way that we've been doing security. You know, I believe in the mantra of do different and because there's no point trying to, you know, keep on going through the same process over and over and expecting a different outcome. You know, we need to change our ways because the attackers have the ability to change their ways. You know, they don't sit there and think about, you know, change control windows and, and how we need to sort of operate. So we need to think about how do we operate at scale? How do we ensure that our businesses are resilient? And we go through the process of ensuring that let's have more of that sort of prevention first mindset. Applying strategies like zero trust would be one method of actually trying to achieve that. Having technology that can really work for us and modern day technology that can try and stop the modern day threat. You know, leveraging automation as much as we possibly can to augment and complement the work the humans have that are inside our own organizations because there are a few. And we can't keep on thinking about throwing people at this problem all the time. We need to think about how do we leverage systems to really help us out and achieve you know, some sort of an outcome here. Not enough people out there to throw anyway. <laughs> okay, Sean, <laughs> thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CISO. No problems. Thank you very much, Alan. That was Sean Duca, Vice President and Regional Chief Security Officer for Asia Pacific and Japan, Palo Alto Networks, on the topic of predicting the unpredictable. You are listening in the podcast for future CISO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. Bye for now. Thank you.